questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight's special guest argues that we are neither alone or at the top of the food chain. He is known for upsetting our confident worldview with physical evidence that our institutions are either complicit or powerless to protect us from being experimented on as animals in an alien farm. More than 40 years ago, he had his first encounter with an alien presence. As he grew older, he experienced a malignant contact with these alien beings that would alter his life forever. As a result, at a young age, he made the decision that he would no longer willingly be victim to the bizarre quests. Determined to change his role in life from being the hunted to the hunter, he began to prepare himself for their pursuits. Every path he took would equip him mentally, physically, and intellectually to become a warrior for his cause and to assume the role he was born to play. As a result, he has spent the past three decades researching the world of alien beings. His area of focus has dealt primarily with medical and scientific evidence of human-alien contact. To that end, he has spent years studying and training in a broad range of areas that would provide him with a full array of skills necessary for his search to find evidence of these creatures. If you're a newcomer, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can subscribe with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. Being the first to discover and share the concept of alien implants, Daryl Sims has been sought by those in the UFO communities, as well as those within the medical and scientific communities, to share his breakthrough methods at worldwide conferences. In addition to this global recognition, he has been acknowledged for his contributions via a series of awards and commendations. His acclaim is further recognized through the many requests he receives annually to appear on a variety of radio and television shows where he shares his knowledge with thousands across the globe. It is for these reasons, coupled with a passion that places him in the unequaled position of relating to those whose lives have been disrupted, that he stands alone in his efforts and his role. I mean, we have a more comprehensive bio on our website. His website is alienhunter.org. And Daryl Sims joins us directly from Houston, Texas. Hello, Daryl, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? It, it's a pleasure to be here, Mel. You're a, you're, you are a hallmark in the internet work, and I'm telling you, you're you're so well known. It's absolutely amazing. It's that's not. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you, that's just fact. But it is an honor. I'm humbled to hear that, especially come from somebody like you. I've heard your name way before I even started on this show. Even when I used to listen to our bell in the late '80s, your name was coming up everywhere. And you and I have interacted a few times, but I don't know for for some reason we've never connected on this show. And I'm glad that you finally made it all the way here. So welcome. Thank you, sir. Well, let's begin, as I always say, in chronological order. But before we dive into your story, because a lot of people know who you are, but they, there are those who are not, and we have people all over the world listening, I have to ask you a couple of people that you acknowledge in your book, and I'm talking about two very important persons that are very influential in what I do, too. And I'm talking about Dr. Carla Turner and Dr. John Mack. They both died, I would say, in mysterious circumstances, especially Dr. Turner, who died of cancer at the age of 48 after being threatened for her work. She was in perfect health 
and had no genetic history of cancers of any kind and died of an unidentifiable cancer in 1996. If you listen to this program, folks, you know cancer can be used as a weapon. And if you don't know this, listen to my interviews with Judith Barry Baker and Ed Haslam about Dr. Mary's monkey. Why don't we start with Dr. Turner first? What's your take on her her work? How influential was she in on your work? And why do you think happened? Dr. Carla Turner, uh, known by many people, was a uh, true fighter in every sense of the word. She was not afraid of anybody or anything, and uh, ex- except the alien in some circumstances. But but by and large, uh, remarkable woman. Uh, everybody that knew her. Per, on a personal level, her her name was Candy, and uh, Candy was uh, a real trip. We had her in Houston several times to speak uh, here, and um, we uh, it's, it's not something we'd want to have publicized, of course, but I guess I'm doing it anyway. But one time when she was here uh, speaking to the women's uh, group of our support group, and I was uh, speaking to the men's group, uh, they yelled for me to come upstairs and, uh, I did. And there was a lady, uh, convulsing basically. And, uh, I yelled at them to go call ENTs and so on. And a friend of mine that was a psychic was, uh, looking at the girl as well. And I was looking at her and it is obvious that the woman was dead. And, uh, the Carla was, uh, candy was standing against the wall. She just little tiny just barely five foot tall, just as um, she she was literally shaking. And my my impression was uh, from her was that she was looking at what might happen to her. Uh, She had been threatened uh, by uh, people apparently in the intelligence community and also uh, by the alien. And uh, she had uh, no love for either one of them, really. So uh, anyway, that we were able to revive the girl and uh, and and all of that. But uh, Candy gave me a uh, uh, that night, next night at the uh, Houston UFO Network meeting. She said, "No one will ever hypnotize me except two people." She says one of them is uh, my mentor Barbara Bartholik, and she said the other one is Daryl Sims. And I was hoping she wouldn't say anything about the, the lady that passed away in the sport group. And she says, because I've already seen him work. And that was the end of it. So I was elated that she didn't comment any further about that. But uh, she was a fighter from day one, a, a, a remarkable woman. And we would have uh, discussions about uh, my lab cases, these military uh, uh, uh abduction cases that, that were reported to her. And and I, I had some serious concerns about some of the cases because I felt some of them were not really true or there were being reported, but not, um, not really investigated carefully. And um, anyway, long story short was uh, we had our, uh, uh, she questioned me quite heavily on the issue and I gave her my points of view and she was, uh, quite uh, quite happy with my answers, and uh, I told her I'd investigated three of them, and I uh, caught three of the people either fabricating, literally, or lying. And I uh, said, when people do that, I dropped their case on the spot. I mean, I just won't have anything to do with them. I just don't have time to mess with that. But there are plenty of other cases that are clearly um, uh, human and or alien uh, human interventions and um, uh, those are the cases that we ought to focus on, cases that do not have any any real uh, uh, lying or any other factors like that, that they're very truthful in their import. She was a, a, a total true fighter in that respect. I, I love her very much. You know, the, the saying, there's always more flack over the target. And, you know, there, there are plenty of UFO researchers out there. Nothing happens to them. What? Do you think made her a target, Daryl? Uh, I think uh, w- one of the biggest things I think was was the time period. Number one, and number two was uh, the fact that she was so bold. Uh, to, to give you one example, uh, she went to a Mufon conference, 
And of course, they have you send the, their written and from your written speech to them so they can put it in their book, you know, and sell it. And uh, she would go ahead and write out this uh, supposed presentation she was going to make to get an approval, apparently, from them. And, <laughs> and of course, she'd get up there and just uh, do an entirely different presentation <laughs> on uh, what's wrong with the, the whole picture, so to speak. And uh, I laughed and laughed and laughed. And I said, uh, that's probably the reason I'll never be invited. And I said, that's probably the reason you're not going to be invited very often. <laughs> But she was not afraid of anybody or anything, and she did not care uh, who she offended. I've been with her and her husband, Elton, many times when uh, people would question her about how wrong she was about the alien. And they're here to help us save the planet, fix those on hold and all that. And uh, I mean, she would tear into him like you couldn't believe. And she'd say, Elton, get over here. Her husband walk over and say, lift up your shirt. And you could just see where the reptile had uh, torn hide off of him. And she said, don't tell me how good the aliens are here to save the planet. Look what they did to my husband. And uh, she was pretty blunt about things. And, and some people don't like that. They don't like a position that uh, adamanti. But what of what she was saying was, because obviously if she died under mysterious circumstances, I have no doubt that people die of cancer. I get that. But I also know that cancer can be used as a weapon. If she died because cancer was used as a weapon, what entities, you think the intelligence apparatus didn't want her to say something? What is it that they thought it was too hot for her to be talking about? What is it? She she actually mentioned to me and others that uh, that her phones and other things had actually been tapped. And th this was apparently quite provable. Uh, these were not allegations. They, she clearly made her points in her books and other other interviews. Uh, so I think that uh, several people might have been pretty upset in that regard. Uh, on a on another note, and uh, and this is something because I knew Candy very well. I told her that uh, I said you realize, of course, uh, you being sick that there's going to be a lot of people think that. Uh, the CIA killed you. And I said, I'm ex-CIA. So they'll probably say I'm in on it. And, uh, she laughed and said, well, she said, people get cancer and then that's just a fact. And I said, that's true. Uh, but she did not think that the, um, the, she, she, she led me to believe that she did not think that she was being hit, uh, in terms of a killing. Um, uh, and, uh, if the, if that in fact was a, uh, Uh, an actual hit, uh, my thinking would be, would lean far more toward the alien than the intelligence community. And the, the reason is that uh, to for someone to be sanctioned for a hit, uh, look, I used to be in the, in the intelligence community, and I'm telling you that you don't go out and just start killing people because you're a member. It, that, that is never going to happen. The way people get sanctioned is, uh, and they're usually through, they're in, Battlefield situations or Iraq is a good example or whatever. And uh, there are people that are hit that way. And uh, but by and large, an American citizen being hit that way, that would be uh, if you if anyone ever got caught named in in any way, shape or form, that would be uh, that would be devastating beyond belief to a, to uh, an intelligence community to get linked to that in any provable way. Not that it couldn't happen. It, things obviously have happened. But uh, catching the culprit, of course, would be the, the, main, the main trigger. But we've got cases in our, uh, in our own files of uh, people that are, died at the hands of the alien, provably uh, injured beyond uh, description. And uh, I, I can tell story after story, but I'm not going to. There's no point in it. But, yeah, but what you uh, said, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what you just said about having a, a U.S. intelligence apparatus murder somebody, for example. Isn't that what they use? For example, they, they say that Sirhan Sirhan killed RFK, and some people speculate that there were there was a French sharpshooter in 1963 with JFK. Is that what they use foreigners to perpetrate these murders sometimes? Uh, I, I think I think that those are valid those are valid concerns of what you're saying. Uh, my brother's a 
JFK conspiracists, and he took me to, and my mother and some family members were on vacation. He wanted to stop at Dealey Plaza during the the anniversary, and that I said, Bobby, I said I don't, I don't mess with stuff like this because conspiracies, by the nature, I said that you're never going to basically solve them. And I said, there must be 10 people out there that got absolute proof that you're wrong and they're right and they, everybody else is wrong and uh, and so on. And they've all got real good, uh, pretty good information. And he said, I brought you here for one purpose. He said, if you had to set this up, he said, your former military, your XCI, what would you do? And I said, I would have a shooter uh, there on the uh, the bridge. I said, I'd have up, one up behind that building uh, that red building back behind us. I would have another one here uh, on the, what you call, we were standing on the grassy knoll. I said, I would have him actually up in the tree on the branch. I said, therefore, when the bullet was fired, because it was above everybody's head, no one could actually tell where it was from. And I said, the fourth place I'd have a shooter would be uh, in that depository building. I said, that would be my Patsy. And that's where the Patsy was. That's exactly right. And he, he said, well, he freaked out. He said, well, that's, you're not going to believe this. He said, but almost every shooter was in place. You're talking about, I said, well, you're talking about a hit, even from a military standpoint. This, you're going to have to be sure that you're going to get it. But I said, I don't know any of the details, never read any of the books or anything, saw a movie once. And uh, I said, this thing is so convoluted that uh, whoever whoever put this together, and I, di- I did find one piece of information that did trouble me. Uh, John... Uh, uh, not John F. Kennedy, but uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson's uh, as, as assistant attorney general said that he had been told by the attorney general under Johnson that Johnson had ordered the hit himself. Now, again, it's another conspiracy story, and there must be 50 of them out there on that subject alone. I'd, that's just one of the reasons I don't involve myself in it. it I, you'd spend 25 years on it. And you get good information, but then there's three other people that got other pieces of information that kind of affect yours. So I don't I don't mess with it. And if you don't believe, folks, that by what I said about using cancer as a weapon, find out how Jack Ruby died. He went to jail for killing Lee Harvey Oswald, and shortly after, he got a vaccine and rapidly died of cancer. I'm sure you know that. He certainly did. And uh, I think that th- there's so much involved in the JFK nightmare that uh, it went far beyond JFK. I don't know who all was actually involved, but uh, my suspicions, my suspicion is that the intelligence community was involved simply because of one big reason. It's a thing called uh, 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 where the CIA had all their people sitting on the beach, basically waiting for the uh, uh, Cuban army to come get them. And they did. It's what they did in slaughter. They put in, in prison. And I had friends that were actually involved in the Bay of Pigs. Yep. And uh, for that reason, there was absolutely no love lost between JFK and and them. Uh, but by the same token, uh, then <laughs> the mafia hated him. <laughs> uh, their, uh, JF, uh, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson hated him for sure. He wanted in the Vietnam War, and, and Kennedy did not want to go into it. And as you well know, we went into it as soon as Kennedy uh, was gone. So everybody's got their own spin on it. And uh, I think it was huge. I think it was involved probably multiple layers of groups of people at high levels. Uh, I've even heard stories about uh, all kinds of interesting people being involved, none of which I can prove or have any evidence of, but I'm saying it, it, it fits in a pretty nice little, uh, story when you start configuring all the people that had it in for him. And not to get conspiratorial here, but since you mentioned the Bay of Pigs, just like the story of the murder of uh, John Lennon, Jose Perdomo, he was a there during the Bay of Pigs, and also he joined Operation 40, which was uh, a CIA-sponsored hit squad of the 1960s, and he happens to be the doorman at the Dakota Hotel. When John Lennon died, he was the first person to inform the police of of the shooting. What are the chances? But anyway, that's for a different program. Now, John Mack, 
Yes, we all die. We could die in a traffic collision. Uh, he was 74 years old. Your take on Dr. Mack. I uh, met Dr. Mack several times. Uh, last time was in Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, he and I were discussing. He asked a question to me. He said, why do I get ab- contactees and you always get abductees? And I said, actually, I get both. I said, you're the one that primarily gets the contactees. He said, why do you think that is? And I said, well, um, I said, in great respect to you for your Pulitzer Prize winning and your position as a a medical doctor and a psychiatrist at uh, Harvard, at the Harvard Medical School, I said, I want to make sure we frame this in the terms of an argument in the scientific sense. He said, totally understood. Fire away. And I said, I think the reason you get contactees is because you're predisposed. And I said, I think when people come to you, they're predisposed to that mentality. I said, I don't have any problem with anybody believing anything. That's their business. I said, but my point is that when you're an authority and a medical doctor and a top psychiatrist and everything else, whatever your beliefs are, people tend to gravitate to that. So I said, it bothers me that you uh, seem to have missed a little point. And he said, what's that? And I said, if you hypnotize a person's screen memory, not their actual memory, but the screen memory that the alien left as a front. It's the true false memory syndrome is what it is. I said, you'll end up with a screen dream. In other words, you can hypnotize that person a hundred times and you'll get a story that will go on and on and on. They obviously were not abducted for hundreds of hours in a row. I said, but the point is that it generates a, not a screen memory, but a screen dream. And it will go on continuously. I said, I'm, I'm very surprised you didn't uh, catch that. And uh, I said, because your, your colleague, Dr. Timmerman over at uh, Tulane, sent you a letter uh, back in 1994. And this was 2000 whenever I saw him, I believe, in Istanbul, Turkey. And um, he told you that you probably ought to go down and meet Daryl Sims and his assistant, uh, Dale Musser, because there, they had some information that was pretty interesting. And anyway, Dr. Mack is a congenial, kind, a decent man, very intelligent, uh, very sharp. And uh, I don't know, uh, I, I'm, I'm an ex-police officer, so here's, here's my first take. When someone dies, uh, if they have a history of drinking and they get hit by a car, uh, my first thought is that probably is uh, Occam's razor. The second, of course, aspect of that is if there was any uh, evidence that the driver or anything else was untoward and uh, was part of a conspiracy to take him out, that would be beyond horrible. Uh, the difficulty I have with thinking that he was a part of a hit was if that were going to be done, that should have been done a long time ago, I would think, before he could get out of a bunch of good information like he did. Um, he was a very credible, very honorable, very decent guy. I, I just I like him immensely. Um, but I, I, I just I have no evidence. No, no, not 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 only not on a smoking gun. I don't have any gun, so to speak, to say that he died. Uh, other than in that, like that accident. But if anybody's got any piece of information that's pretty damning, I'm I'm all all ears to hear it. I certainly am. I don't know why it reminds me of General Patton's Fender Bender, December 45, (laughs) right? Or or James Forrestal, the story of James Forrestal. But again, we could be talking about that for hours. But I really want to get into your story. In chronological order, Daryl, let's begin with that. Well, my uh, my story actually starts, I guess, from a UFO point of view at age four. Uh, at age four, I was sleeping in my bed in Midland, Texas, 1305 Ohio Street. My mother says, you, how you couldn't possibly know that? I said, 1305 Ohio Street, Mama. Do you want to know the phone number? I said, it starts with uh, the word hemlock, H-E. And uh, she said, I just can't believe you remember. I said, well, I was there, so I remember. Nothing wrong with my memory. And... Uh, long story short is the, uh, it was a little tiny house and, uh, the, 
I'm going to tell a story from from the whole the, all the information I know, but rather than pieces because I'll have to back into it. Uh, the long story short is simply that I'm uh, lying on the bed and I set up all of a sudden. Uh, I sense something's wrong in the room, and uh, I, I've done that even in surgery, and uh, scared the anesthesiologist half to death when that happened. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I set up and uh, I, I saw this little skinny guy with no clothes on in the middle of winter, very cold, had all these covers on me from my mother. And I set up and I thought, well, why is he walking toward the wall? He's going to bump into the wall. I didn't know that he and I had just come through the wall. And I didn't have a clue. I mean, aliens and all this, there's no such thing back there in 1952. There's just nobody knows anything about that. So I'm watching him, and I thought, he's going to bump at the wall, and he instantly turns around as if he had heard every word that I had just thought. And apparently he did, because I had something happen to me that I had never experienced before in my life. I heard a voice in my head, which wasn't mine, saying, it's awake. And I realized there was only one it in the room, and that was me, that he was could be talking about. So this was rather troubling. I wasn't scared, wasn't paralyzed, wasn't anything. Nothing like that whatsoever. I'm sitting up in bed just wondering who is the skinny little guy with no clothes on. And when he turned around, I really got a surprise. I saw that he didn't have a belly button, which is weird because I had one. And the next thing I noticed, he didn't have a TT. And little kids describe things like that. Uh, he didn't have genitalia. And now I'm really confused. How do you go to the bathroom? That, you know, and of course, after many years investigating, if you don't have uh, a navel, you weren't born. You were hatched, cloned, made, or manufactured. You got here some other way besides birth. And the second thing, if you don't have genitalia, you don't procreate. Again, it's highly likely that somebody hatched, cloned, made, or manufactured you or others like you, in my opinion. So that was. Uh, the, the most telling part. Then all of a sudden uh, he moved toward me just with a slight movement and his eye moved. And I had a little bit of light in the room because there's a well house outside of my room had a light on all night to keep the well house from the, the, the uh, mechanism from freezing up. And I could see movement in his eye and a little bit of red underneath his eye. And I never could understand it until 40 years later, but the long and the short of it is I instantly became paralyzed with an unbelievable fear. I had four years old. You don't have many fears. I mean, maybe a bad dream or something, but this was unlike anything I've ever knew. And, and the, for your audience, I think this will be useful to hear is it was in, since I'm an investigator and, I, and I've got 2,000 cases worldwide and I've spoke to tens of thousands of people over the last 50 years doing this, um, I realized that now that he transferred his fear to me. That's the reason I never had a fear and most people have never had a fear like these uh, aliens install in you. And the reason is because it's their fear. It's not ours. It's not even related to us. We have no concept of a fear like that. And uh, that's that finally came to me years later when I realized what was going on. But anyway, uh, the next thing I know is I, he moved toward me and that really freaked me. And I pushed real hard on my little tiny bed and it pushed it apart from the wall a little bit, kind of made a V between the wall and the bed. And I fell with my covers wrapped around me uh, and bounced my little head off the floor into the kid's worst nightmare. End of the story. Something he sticks his big bulbous head underneath the bed, lifts up the covers and puts that large black eye, which the eye, his eyes were perfectly round, by the way, they were not the Hollywood version whatsoever. They're perfectly round inch and a half across. And he put them right next to my little face as I was shaking and uh, tried to change my imagery of him into that of a clown. He wanted me to remember him as a clown and a bad dream. I kept shaking my little head back and forth, no, 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 because I wanted to remember him for what he was, not for what he wanted me to think he was. And I did not want uh, my parents telling me you had a bad dream or whatever. I did not have a bad dream. I know exactly 
what I saw. And aside from the eyes, is it the prototypical gray? Uh, in a sense of the word, I think it was prototypical. Uh, the eyes obviously were different. He was extremely skinny. He, he was a pure white color, by the way. And some of these beings, and I've done a lot of a lot of work in this area. Uh, some of these beings are grayish. Some are tannish. Some are smooth skinned, like uh, like a elephant's, uh, like a, a, a horse's nose. And others are have a skin about like that of an elephant. And uh, they have distinct smells. And there, there's a lot we actually know about them now that we did not know uh, ten years ago, even. Was that your your first and only encounter? It was not my first encounter. That was just the beginning of woes for me. Uh, I had approximately 10 ev events that occurred over a 13-year period. At age 17, 13 years later, my events ended violently in my room in uh, Almogorda, New Mexico, right outside Holloman Air Force Base, White Sands Missile Range. And uh, Were you in the military at that time? I was not. I was... Uh, no, no, I, I, I was going to NMSU at the uh, uh, um, New Mexico State University, and then um, uh, I came out, and I the Vietnam War was on hot and heavy, and and uh, I wanted to uh, do the best I could for my country, and I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't like the war. Don't get me wrong, but but if somebody's going to fight it, it, to me, it would be better. To send somebody like me, because I'm a, first of all, I'm a martial artist. Second of all, taught the air commandos in Black Beret in New Mexico State University, uh, enemy, enemy sentry removal techniques as an example. And um, my family are Scottish, Irish, Native American. Uh, busting head and taking names is all we've ever done our entire history. <laughs> Better to send me than to send your son, who might not make it back in any sense of the word, mentally or otherwise. So uh, I don't, I'm not going to die for my country. Trust me, that ain't going to happen. I'm going there to make everybody die for their country. Uh, I'm coming back and I'm going to be able to survive it. And a lot of those boys was not able to survive it, not just from death, but I mean, mentally, uh, I've, I've got friends that are still so messed up that it's, it's pitiful. It's just, uh, I hate war. I hate every aspect. Well, they only talk about the 50 some thousand who died, but yeah. what about the hundreds of thousands who came back almost as if they weren't even there. Thank you. And uh, you know, the hardest part of the war for me, the hardest part was coming back to Fort uh, Lewis, Washington and getting spit on by the college students. That was the hardest part of the entire war for me, being spit on by the civilians. I, I just could not comprehend that being called baby killer, murder, and everything else. Why don't they go spit on the politicians? I mean, the majority of these people... <laughs> Better didn't... target, huh? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I went to Washington, D.C. last year for a wedding, and I've never been. So I was in the Washington Monument. I was in the Vietnam Monument, I mean, the Vietnam Memorial. One thing that my daughter did, she's 12, and I turned back and I couldn't see her. All of a sudden, she's shaking the hand of a, a gentleman in a wheelchair who was a Vietnam vet and she went to say thank you for your service and I, he was he started crying I've always told my daughter that war is the last resort yes but anyway the Vietnam vets why is it and I don't mean to get political about this situation but it always bothers me that these people went there it was the draft they were forced to go into a war of attrition we had no place being there at all that's fact everything you said is true and uh, thank your daughter for that wonderful thing she did. There, uh, There's actually a group. I, I've got a, a little sticker on the back of my pickup that says uh, it's, it's a group of people that welcome Vietnam veterans to this day because they never got a welcome. Yeah. And uh, it's the only war that we ever fought that the that the in, in, even up to the day that, uh, that our soldiers came back and were visibly sped on, yelled at, called baby killers, murderers and. You, anything you can imagine. It was just, uh, I volunteered. I wasn't drafted. I volunteered for the Vietnam. Right. I got three years, not two. So when you were there in Alamogordo, what did you see? What You didn't tell me the story. Okay. Uh, the, this actually, the, let's uh, go from Midland, Texas to, uh, I'm now in the 
third grade, and I go to the uh, we're we're building a little uh, a little tiny house, a little parsonage outside of the church. Uh, we're living in the basement of a, a, a church, and they're building the little building, the little house for ourselves out there. And uh, I go to they had an outdoor bathroom back then, and I. In the Mayhill, New Mexico is where it was. And that's just a, literally a wide place in the road. That's all it is. And I went outside the bathroom and uh, went to the bathroom, shut and walked outside, shut the door. And as I shut the door, there's the same cosmic skinhead uh, waiting for me that always picks me up in every event. It's the same guy. I, they all look the same. But if there were a million of them in the line, I guarantee I could pick him out. And I don't know why but I could pick him out of the, the, out of a million of them in a minute. The point is that he took me to meet someone else that night. And that was what really, uh, baked my cookie, so to speak. And, uh, uh, the next day, uh, that was Friday, Friday night and uh, Saturday, the next day I was, uh, and I, you got to understand, I love animals. I've rescued more animals than most people ever seen in their life. Literally. And my family's done the same thing. Oh, we've done this all our lives. I've rescued Bengal tigers, uh, giant pythons, you name it, everything you can imagine. And uh, anyway, I love animals, love insects. Next day, I'm out there killing hundreds and hundreds of grasshoppers, pulling their heads off. And I asked myself, why in the world are you hurting these little grasshoppers? And I put one of them right next to my face, real close so I could see it. Close, and I realized that's the wrong insect. It was a praying mantis. I was going to say praying mantis. Yes, sir. That was the one he took me to. That's why I was killing the insects the next day. What do you think? What were they trying to convey? Because I've had many people who have had encounters with praying mantis. Usually they have, can I say the lowest of the totem pole is these bio robots called grace, if you want to call them that way. But behind them, you have the, long, the taller ones and behind those. You have the praying mantis, almost as if they have a higher hierarchy. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with it. In fact, we have a written thing I call the usual suspects, and it has a description almost like what you have. The smaller little alien and uh, who has got an IQ of about 80, and that, that offends some people when we say it. I said, you don't understand. I'm not attacking. I'm describing something I've known and met and seen many times. I said, even Bud Hopkins, before he passed away, uh, quoted me. He said, these guys, the little ones are so, he used the word stupid. I didn't. Uh, low intelligence is what I used. But he said, they're so stupid, they can't even get your clothes on right. And many people, two or three people taken in an abduction, sometimes will come back with each other's clothes on because <laughs> somebody put them on wrong. Yes. And uh, But the, the little guy, and then the second one is uh, one little taller, looks just like him, but bigger. That's the often referred to as the doctor type. He's got an IQ of about 140. He's really smart. Then you've got the praying mantis, which has a, an IQ of probably, I'm going to guess, 170. Really, really smart, super sharp, knows exactly, knows how to do his job. You've got the, uh, uh, then you've got another group, the uh, Nordic being, which is a uh, human style. And uh, very sharp, very good intelligence. And then you've got a, a reptile, and these guys are usually the ones in charge. They're, they can be occasionally nice, but often very pretty mean and somewhat vicious, as Dr. Carla Turner's uh, husband could easily tell you. And, uh, and I've got plenty of cut marks and scratches and in ways and places that people could not have done themselves, uh, claiming the reptiles got them too. But uh, that and then there's the Bigfoot on the other end of my uh, picture scale. And uh, because in my opinion, he's part and parcel to this whole entire usual suspects. Now, you see, this is one topic that I've never, ever discussed here. And a lot of people requested. And I don't know why I haven't gravitated towards the Bigfoot, Yeti, whatever you want to call it. Have you studied sure. this? And what do you think this is? I, I have. And first of all, it is rare. But we do have uh, uh, Bigfoot in abduction events with a gray. It's actually happened. That is rare. And I, I'm the first one to admit that. Now, I don't, I've got a lot of friends that are Bigfoot investigators. I do not consider myself one of them. I do have a urine sample 
a fingernail from a uh, adolescent, and I do have had hair samples from the late 1980s. So uh, I'm quite comfortable with, with our evidence. It is real. It's a simian. It's uh, as real as anything in the world. Uh, I do not buy into the uh, models that are out there. Uh, they're undeveloped humans in the evolutionary uh, makeup that didn't make it. I just don't buy that in the slightest word. And one of the big reasons that I, I am comfortable with my viewpoints on the alien and the Bigfoot, because I think he's hatch clone made manufacturers like the rest of them. And every one of the DNA of every one of them probably comes from planet Earth. That's uh, in my opinion. But the point is that a DNA test was done in Texas. Uh, I think about two little over, about two years ago, and what they found was uh, a simian, obviously. It's a, an ape-like creature, and from their evidence, and they found something else that matched exactly what I've been telling people for 20 years. They found that that being had mixed DNA with a modern, modern, not ancient, human woman, mitochondrial DNA in the Bigfoot. Now, there's one big way that can happen. It's called transgenics, where somebody's mixing the DNA from certain other things to create certain other things. And that, to me, is part and parcel of what the alien actually is. And I'll close my little statement here by saying my last thing. The alien is just a program that's been in operation probably for no more than, in its current status, no more than 100, 150 years. Max. Let's dissect this for a moment, what you just said about the Bigfoot. This makes a lot of sense. Transgenic, GNA manipulation, human, simian. Question is, was it done by humans or was it done by extraterrestrials? I think uh, neither one. And and I'll not try to be cryptic here. Uh there are, uh, there are primarily two big views about uh, about who's in charge, so to speak, uh, of the alien program. And uh, first of all, the alien isn't. I can tell you that right off the bat. And uh, there's good evidence, and any any investigator worth his salt knows that. Uh, if he doesn't, then he hasn't done his homework very well, because the alien is working for someone else. They if they're told to cause you to love them, to that you're here, you're special, you're unique or whatever, and they treat you good, you're going to think they're the best thing since sliced bread. And most people would because, I mean, if you're treated good, then that must be okay. By the same token, if he's told to mutilate you like a cow or mutilate your cattle, I promise you he'll do it with equal enthusiasm. It won't make a bit of difference to him. He's just doing his job. I don't like his job, but that's not the point. He's going to do it, and he's going to do it reasonably adequately. The Bigfoot, in my opinion, is uh, is part and parcel to another program that's being run. It's a part of the alien quote-unquote program, which is only about 150 years old. And uh, that's that's just my my viewpoint, and, and I'm, I think I'm in reasonably good company. And I'll, let me underscore that. Uh, we're doing a shoot with our TV show called Uncovering Aliens uh, about three years ago. And uh, and in the shoot, uh, we had a, took a break because it was very hot. And we, had, we were interviewing Dr. Bob Wood. Dr. Bob Wood called me over and he said, Daryl, could I speak with you a minute? And I said, yes, sir. He said, I want to know a couple of questions. One of them was about something in the intelligence community. And I said, okay. And... Uh, the next question, he said, and unfortunately, people were coming back from their coat break and they overheard everything we were saying. And he said, I want to know how old, how far you think the alien is ahead of us. And I said, I'd really rather not answer that mixed company. I said, I think I'm going to probably get lapped off the set. And he said, uh, and everybody's listening, the producer, co-producer, the actors, everybody. And he said, I want to know what you think. I don't care what everybody else thinks. And I said, well, uh, <clears throat> this is this is going to sting a little bit. And he said, please tell me. I said, the alien is no more than 15 to 50 years ahead of us. 
and everybody laughed until they they had the biggest belly laugh you ever you could imagine. They were laughing so hard. Everybody was, except for two people, me and Dr. Robert Wood, Bob Wood. And he said, uh, and when he spoke, of course, everybody quit laughing. He said, those are the exact figures I came to. I want to know how you came to those figures. And I said, that was actually fairly easy for me to ascertain. I said, when I was 12 years old, I said I was a recipient of a nasal implant. I was wide awake, and I they switched me off, and I had already learned how to switch myself back on so I can hear them talking. I heard what they said. They speak in whole concepts that even children can understand. And uh, I said, I didn't know the science behind it, but I could certainly understand the concepts. And I said, later, when I got older, I started looking at the works of a certain neurosurgeon and realized that there were no more than 15 years ahead of us at that point. If they're a million light years ahead of us, why didn't they use million years technology? They didn't. They used something that we were using. Uh, we were just a few years literally uh, behind. And uh, later I wrote Dr. Bob Wood and I have the email to prove it. I said, I want to know how you came to your conclusion. They're no more than 15 to 50 years ahead of us. And he said, as you know, I actually have the, not copies, but the actual written letters of back, of back engineered technology of some of the UFO work. And I said, I do know that. And I said, that's one of the reasons we interviewed you. And he said, Daryl, they're no more than 15 to 50 years ahead of us. And I said, well, that's two of us that everybody's going to think is crazy. But uh, I said, I think we're both on very solid ground, personally. Very interesting. But the question is, if it's only 15 years, let's say, let's project. Let's, let's put the futuristic or futurist hat for a moment, Daryl. If we had to say the United States, which is the most advanced technologically when it comes to space exploration or military, if we had to project 15 years ahead, I don't think we would even be close to going to Mars, let alone to another solar system. So how, if these aliens are coming here and they're 15 years ahead, what kind of technology are they using and where are they coming from? Uh, I can answer that several ways. Number one is I had a, uh, at the, I owned the Houston UFO Network, uh, HUFON as it's referred to, and we had a scientist several years ago that came, I asked him to come speak, and he was a scientist that NASA and others call whenever there are asteroids coming close to us and looks like we're going to get hit. And he's one of the people they call. And he was doing some lectures on that and uh, amazing stuff. And one day uh, we started talking and he said, uh, uh, I said, how far do you think uh, NASA really is? I said, you hear all these rumors and space programs and everything. What's, what's your take on it? He said, uh, we can go to Mars in 29 days. And I said, uh, okay. I said, you're a scientist and I accept that and uh, God bless America and so on, but I need a little more evidence than your say-so. And he said, we have plasma rockets right now that he said, you can actually research this yourself. You don't need my opinion. He said, we can go to Mars in 29 days. He said, it takes Certainly, we said half the time you, you take firing up, the other half you take slowing down. He said the idea that it's going to take us two years or whatever to get there, he said it can take you two years if you use those rockets that they're talking about, uh, you know, you see in certain missile blasts. He said, but uh, we've got, we've got uh, plasma rockets now that can do some pretty amazing things. There are several scientists that have come forward also, from the Skunk Works that have absolutely stated publicly, we could take ET home right now if we wanted to. Now, I don't know what that means, but I know that having been in the intelligence community, that we're a lot further ahead than people think we are. And as a good example, uh, we're out in the middle of a, a uh, an, an amazing uh, top secret sea uh, operation. This is this was just incredible. Top secret sea operation in the middle. I mean, we're doing some big hot stuff, and a Chinese sub 
appears in the very middle of our entire operation, totally unseen. They did it just to let us know we're not quite as smart as we think we are. Speaking of Dr. Robert Wirt, folks, if you don't know who he is, he's a former retired McDonnell Douglas engineer. Is he still with us? Is he still alive, uh, Daryl? He is. A, a last I spoke to him, yes, he's still with us. Right. And he's a very honorable and a very decent man. He's not given to wild conjecture or anything else. When he tells you something, you can take it to the bank. It's, it's going to work. Was he the one who said that we can take E.T. home? He is not the man that said that. Uh, it's a, I, I, and I don't know his name right offhand, but, uh, but he's quite famous. And he actually did a presentation at a major university as he retired. And he made the statement that uh, we could take E.T. home. And uh, probably only about three people heard what he said. And uh, they, they came down and talked to him later. And they could not believe the things that he said. It was just absolutely incredible. He is a, a brilliant, brilliant man. And there are a number of people that have come forward that have said similar things. But, again, I can't prove that. Uh, there's two things about me. One is I tell people what I think, which is not necessarily provable. And then I tell people what I can prove, right. which I can take to court and do something with. And I appreciate that. I have a question regarding what you said about the 29 days. If that is the case, and one person from the defense contracting business said that, I'm sure there are plenty of others who don't say it but know it. If that's the case, that means that we are probably, if it's true that we can engage in space travel, this is happening behind our eyes in a secret space program already. Yes, sir, it is. And what we have here, NASA, $58 million a day budget, this is just window dressing, isn't it? Thank you. Well, how Absolutely. can we get to the bottom of this? Is it because NASA really is a branch of the Department of Defense and they're just doing it so to keep the... I mean, what is the biggest priority for any president? It is domestic tranquility. That is the biggest and most important to keep the foundations going. This is why we cannot talk about extraterrestrials. Why? Because it's going to destroy the economy. It's going to probably destroy religion. It's going to destroy many other foundations. This is why disclosure is not going to happen anytime soon, especially from a government authority, Daryl. Uh, I think disclosure is not going to happen for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, because when you start disclosing, then other governments are going to have to disclose, and they don't want to do that either. Uh, there are lots of reasons they don't want that to happen. Uh, it affects their own economy as well, and they that they nobody wants that to happen. Uh, the second reason is I've told people before: if the United States government came out and made a public statement that UFOs are real, uh, abduction has been going on for some time. We've known about it. We don't like it, but we whatever, they made that kind of a statement, people would be lined up with more court cases that would clog the courts for the next 50 years. And the reason is because some of these people are told they're insane, they made it up, they're liars, and so on. And uh, and, and I, I have to say this in, in the spirit of uh, Dr. Carla Turner. I'll do it. Uh, Candy uh, was not afraid of any organization or anything, and, 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 and she was very vocal about that. Uh, and uh, and I've got a lot of friends who are MUFON people, uh, good folks, uh, but uh, MUFON was one of the ones that she was not afraid to offend in any way, shape, or form. And, uh, and for whatever reason, they kept inviting her back, and that and I'm glad they did because it was the right thing to do, even if you didn't necessarily like her viewpoint. But uh, uh, I, I think that uh, – let me get off track here – uh, I think that it's imperative that uh, we understand that uh, this this program of a disclosure ain't going to happen for a number of reasons, and not the least of which is the fact that. Uh, uh, and, and I'll go, let me go back to my point with Mufon. Mufon made a statement uh, that I I really got upset over. They said basically these women that were having these so-called cases of. Uh, alleged alien pregnancy, that sort of thing. They were imagining it or, or they were sleeping with someone and they were getting caught. And basically the woman didn't understand her body. And that, 
and they were having spontaneous abortion or just an abortion, various different answers. And uh, one of the MUFON people, uh, one of their top investigators who no longer is with them, asked me to come up and do a presentation just for MUFON investigators. And this was up in, um, uh, I believe it was in Wisconsin. And I said, sure. And uh, I did my implant presentation. And then all of a sudden, I said, here's the worst implant, in my opinion. And I said, I'm going to disagree with your public policy some of your doctors have made concerning women and that they may or may not know their bodies. And and they were standing, well, all of them with their jaws open as I showed them the next implant. It was an alien fetus inside a woman on a sonogram. I said, I don't like you telling these women they don't know what they're talking about. They're lying. They're making it up. I said, these sonograms have been reviewed and checked by the top fetal doctors in England. They're real. What you're looking at, I'll give you the best explanation I got from them. I have never seen anything like that in my entire life. Look at that pointed little chin and large bulbous head. I said, I get tired of you trying to make abductees out as if there's something wrong with these people. There's nothing wrong with them. They've seen, heard, or experienced things you don't know anything about. Quit calling them liars or they're just making stuff up. It just ain't true. It just can be generalized like that. Just like when I hear people, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything negative about him, but for example, Dr. Stephen Greer and some others who only talk about benevolent aliens. Absolutely. I have a problem. I believe that as above, so below. We have good people in this world. We have bad people in this world. Sure. And if you had to just look outside, wouldn't the same thing apply to the universe why would we, and even, look, your former intelligence, you know that the military, they have to have a defensive posture. If there's a group of beings coming from another world, you have to have a defensive posture. You just can't trust that they're going to be landing on the White House lawn and they have our best interests at heart. Some people criticize me for saying, oh, Mel, you're a warmonger. Look at the way you're treating them. But we just right. don't know. What's your take on this? My take is simply that uh, I, I am proud of our military. I'm proud of the, of the posture that we appear to be taking with the UFO phenomena. And that is that uh, we had at one time a policy of uh, shoot first and ask questions later. And there's a reason for it. People say, well, that's just horrible. I said, now listen to me carefully. I said, when we're talking about the nation, we're not talking about a UFO or a this or a that. We're talking about something you don't know anything. What you saw is a light in the sky or a silver disc or something like that. Somebody probably knows a little bit more than you do, just a little, not much, but little. And they probably have a pretty good idea that some of this stuff is hostile. And I said, if, if the government, and they do, and I, when I say the government, I don't mean the government in general. I mean only certain people in the intelligence community Look at the at the abduction phenomena, and I guarantee you, uh, they're as flabbergasted over it as I am. I said I can show you pictures and autopsy reports and all kinds of things about where the alien is tampered with people, and literally taking the eyes out of people that were sur surgically removed their eyes. Uh, in one case, a, a lady in Brazil, they literally mutilated that elderly woman in her bed, skinned alive, and not a drop of blood in her bed. I can tell you a dozen stories like that. My point is, not all of it's bad. Certainly it isn't. But it doesn't make any difference. Uh, I said, you know, I said, I said, whenever I run, used to run cases of kidnapping, no one ever came up to me afterward after I brought their child to them unharmed. No one ever walked up and said, you know, Mr. Sims, there's good kidnappers and bad kidnappers. I just never hear that kind of a, mm -hmm. a statement. Never, ever hear that statement. Retired Navy Commander David Fravor. You probably know that name, the Nimitz incident, the person behind the chase of the Tic Tac UFO. Yes. In, in, you probably have heard he mentioned that they were doing some testing with some torpedoes that they throw on the ocean just to test, you know, some of the, 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 the data that comes out of them. Have you heard the story of when the scuba divers were going to retrieve the 
torpedo, a black, well, it looks to be a USO, an unidentified submersible object, would almost come to the surface and it would just pull the, at least one incident, it pulled the torpedo down. Have you heard that? I've heard the story. Um, uh, again, it, 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 these are stories because to me, I, I, have, I have no proof of it, but I, I will take them at face value. And uh, I've told people this uh, impact on uncovering aliens, where I was the investigator for the, the cases. I said, um, they said, why is it we're not seeing UFOs like there are all kinds of abductions taking place? Where are the UFOs at? Like flying through the skies, there should be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them every night. And they said, that's true. And I said, you have to ask yourself some real reasonable questions. Where are they coming from? They said, do you have any idea? And I said, I do. I said, my background is Native American Indian is one of one of the uh, our, our family or come from the Anayunwea, which our enemies call us the Cherokee which means people that speak another speech because we came down from the North and took over the South basically. And I said, among many native Americans, particularly the Cherokee, they would describe UFOs coming up out of the rivers, lakes, and this sort of thing. And when you understand that, you realize that somebody's traversing or using underwater bases or underwater travel, you will not be seen, especially in this day and time where you can see just about anything with all kinds of equipment. Many of them seem to be coming from underwater. Well, if you think that most of our oceans are unexplored, what a great place to, to hide. How far can you go down? Exactly. Without crushing. <laughs> exactly. You know, makes me wonder also, you were talking about Vietnam earlier on. We had a, one of our listeners who passed away a few years ago. He was one of a, a great friend of this program at Jim but he was known as Major Karma. He was a major in the in the army during the Vietnam War. And he told me of a story, and uh, I trust Jim. Of course, I have no way to confirm what he said. But this is why he was so interested in these topics, because he said, I remember with my group of people, we were next to a river, and I saw, almost like in a hoverboard, this what looked to be like a reptilian being, almost not quite, but almost like the predator being for the movie. Just and he looked at them and just he continued down, hovering above the river. Have you heard stories like this from other Vietnam fellows of yours? Uh, I'll tell you several, and uh, I think you're these these were not stories that uh, you will regularly hear, and they have been uh, vetted by me. Uh, one of the one of the most interesting the, the Skinwalker Ranch was fascinating for a lot of reasons, and several scientists and and I know Bob Bigelow and number of scientists. I, in fact, I presented in front of 18 of them at one time. It's completely uh, all of them agreed they wanted to study the alien implant phenomenon. Uh, Actually, Daryl, we have to. I forgot to say we have, hate to do this as a cliffhanger, but we come to the the first hour. This is a great cliffhanger for folks to listen to us. On part two, I want to talk about Bob Bigelow. I want, I'm very curious to know if you have confirmed what I just said about this being in Vietnam, because this is not the first time I've heard about this. But, Daryl, how can people buy your book, learn more about your work? They can go to alienhunter.org, and you can look at everything we've got there. You can watch video film of actual implants in people, and uh, you can see pictures and all kinds of fun stuff. And... Uh, uh, we're a philanthropic effort. We do not charge people for these implant surgeries and other things we do. So uh, it, it just uh, we we just we know what they've been through, and so we I just can't charge them money. I just can't do that. And folks, a lot of the things that I have to withhold from saying lately, I have to put in segment two because of the censorship that we face all the time. So I have a few things that I want to discuss that I didn't want to. Uh, put ourselves in that position where they're going to shut us down once again. So in part two, I'm here delighted to be with my special guest, Daryl Sims. I can't believe that in almost 11 years, and this is the first time I, I know it won't be the last. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to Veritas. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. 
Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.